Hey everybody, Dr. Z here. Welcome to the Z Time Podcast. Today I have a really exciting episode for you guys. And I'm going to talk about one of the main issues that made the type 2 diabetes epidemic even worse. The diabetes epidemic even worse. And the race of cardiovascular disease and cardiometabolic disease worse and worse and worse. And so I've been mentioning in my previous podcast about how there is the root cause and the immediate cause of things and that the immediate cause uh, for an alcoholic for instance would be drinking too much alcohol but if you tell that alcoholic don't drink too much alcohol that never works we know statistically that that doesn't work and also we know in health it doesn't work because of the um, largest study that was done in uh, the nurses health study and the advice that was given to them is just eat less. That doesn't work, right? So it doesn't work and it fails about 95% of the time. So it's really important for us to try to grasp, okay, what is the immediate cause and what is the root cause? And so from the root cause of type 2 diabetes, we discussed many factors, right? The root cause are things that elicit um, risk factors and tendencies that create type 2 diabetes. And there are biological risk factors, there are psychological risk factors, and there is environmental risk factors so biopsycho and ecological right and so the biological factors we know that there is only about 30 percent genetic factors in type 2 diabetes and we know that these genes can be turned off or on depending on the person's exposures depending on whether they are exposed to certain things their genetic makeup is going to react to those exposures and give them type 2 diabetes and increase the chances of them having type 2 diabetes we know that from a psychological perspective if we're in a community that um, that sees eating and that sees not being picky with food and not um, uh, not really focusing on what is nutritious food or not we know those that, that causes major uh, problems we know if you live in food islands that causes major problems and so the psychological parts of it are increasing emotional aspects of it and traumas adverse childhood experiences and so those psychological aspects are really important but today I want to talk to you guys about one of the key factors of the environmental factors I'd say that the environmental factors are composed of people places things and policies people places things in policies right and so the policies policies are really important and I know I know that for most of you you're going to be able to tell me that I cannot control what the policies are right I cannot control what the government does and you're right you know to a degree I myself have been lobbying in Washington DC and guess what happened? You know, we went up there. It was a lot of doctors. We focused on a couple of issues and we pretty much stormed the Capitol in a way, in a different way, like talking to congressmen and, uh, and things like that. And so what happened is that the next day, then I go home and guess what happens? That law didn't change. And then a year later, that law doesn't change. And that law is still affecting people in the hospital in transitioning to out of the hospital. We were actually trying to lobby for the three-day stay. It's a, it's a, it's a little law that is made and it's a bit of um it's a bit of a mess because it creates a lot of problems for patients sometimes in the hospital so we were lobbying to change the law um so that they that the congressman could pass it on to uh centers for medicare and medicaid to change this law but this guy what happens uh what happens later is two years later nothing happens five years later nothing happens so nothing happened right it doesn't mean that what we did wasn't important we met with congressmen we brought them awareness maybe that influenced them in other 
areas. So I'm not saying that that was a waste of time, but I'm just saying that that policy, I probably don't have direct influence over that policy as I do over the policy of what gets bought into my house, as I do over what I eat in the restaurant, as I eat, as I do over the policy of how I spend my food. And what I spend my money with. And so it's really important to understand that. And policies made this problem worse. Because in the 1900s, we knew that carbohydrates were, 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 that sugar um, was a tricky situation for health. And we knew this from different articles. As I mentioned before, uh, if you looked at the, um, at the article by, uh, William Banting, that was the first diet book, like I mentioned, 1863, he wrote a book of how he lost weight, and that was in essence the first diet book, uh, and, and it's a great little read from back in the day, and then in the 1900s, um, Dr. Lulu uh, wrote a book that was amazing, and she explained how uh, you had to really make sure that your carbohydrates were not big. And this was Dr. Lulu Hunt Peters, and she explained about fasting. And so she was talking about this way back in the day. I mean, early 1900s. So it's really important to understand. Um, this was actually she was living between 1873 to 1930s. So this was pretty early on. And then you know, Dr. John Judkin, he did a lot of studies and he was trying to figure out whether or not fat was really related to cardiovascular disease and he couldn't find it he couldn't find it in the science and so what he was seeing transpire in the u.s government uh, and in the policies that were being changed he could not agree with it and so that's when he wrote that book white pure and deadly about sugar and about how it was influencing in our health and how he was finding in his data that this was the one thing that was causing a lot of the problems right and so then what happened is that in the u.s there was a lot of problems there was uh increase in longevity so people were living longer so more heart attacks of course at the same time there was a lot more increased manufacture of foods which then you know if you put manufacturing foods uh, in the driving seat, of course, what are you going to do as a food company? You want people to consume more of your food. If you can put ingredients in there that will increase their consumption and their frequency, boom, there you have it. What can you put in there to do that? That's sugar. Why? Because it's more addictive than cocaine about seven times. And so they were not meaning to hurt people, but their intentions were to keep their companies afloat and at the expense of, of, of health. And, and I, I, you know, I guarantee you some of these companies didn't know. Maybe some of them did, but maybe some of them didn't. And so what happens is that then, you know, there was a board that was placed by the U.S. government, um, which, uh, you know, Edward Kennedy was in there, uh, Hubert Humphrey, uh, Patrick Leary, and Edward Zorinsky. And it was led by George McGovern. That's, that was uh, the, um, he was a, polit a politician from South Dakota at that time. And this was the Select Committee on Nutrition and Human Services. And they were advising the U.S. government into the dietary guidelines. Never the government had ever done that. Uh, and they were able to do that. Now, if you do this in the right way with science, it could have a major impact. It could have a major benefit. Now we see those uh, those science. You know, some people say that the that that the U.S. government shouldn't have done this. That the, your mother uh, is the one that was telling you what to eat, and now the government is telling you what to eat. I think that's true, but I also think that it's really important. 
um, if there is science there that can be supported, that it would help. And, and, and where do we know this from? We know this from the latest study in Germany. We know this uh, from... Um, from uh, from Germany, and we know this from other European countries that have actually um, created amazing results. In Finland, for instance, they created amazing results reducing cardiovascular disease rate of men 35 to 65 years old by um, by almost 64 percent, and then they ex- expanded it to 25 years, and even even more to like 75 to 80 percent decreased cardiovascular mortality so it does important this is what we call nudges social nudges and they do cause amazing effects and that does save a lot of money on um on on healthcare costs it does save a lot of pain and suffering for a lot of people so it does work but what happens is that you know when you had these guys there uh, that none of the people that i mentioned in the select committee of nutrition and human needs at that time in 1977 none of them had actually healthcare background none of them had scientific background so they could be very easily influenced who were they being influenced by? Of course, there is groups in Washington, D.C. that are making sure that the laws that are passed are not going to take him out of business. And so, unfortunately, it's not usually a one one thing fits all. You know, a lot of people say that, oh, it was the bad big companies. And, you know, that's, that could be true. And maybe there is companies out there that are thinking that they're going to sell something to kill you. It wouldn't be in their best interest, you know, because they're going to go out of business. But they might be making something to make you eat it more, to make you eat it uh, uh, faster, to make you eat it more frequently and to make you eat it at a bigger size. And so that is really important for us to realize that those influences are there. And that's why we need to get scientists that are not um that are that do not have any conflict of interest and if that they do that we put them all up front and we know that there is conflict of interest and that the scientists then have a board of scientists to actually help make these decisions and you know i think it is getting better in some ways but what happened was that then after that they decided to do a dietary guideline the problem with this is that you've all seen that pyramid and what is at the bottom of that pyramid is carbohydrates crazy enough carbohydrates and so sugars were at the bottom of this pyramid and they wanted to in their in their guidelines they put as dietary goals for the u.s um the u.s human beings to be total carbohydrates of 55 to 61 percent all the way at the bottom uh, at the bottom of the pyramid, taking the base of the pyramid, taking the most of the pyramid out. And as you get thinner and thinner up in the pyramid of that food pyramid, um, they wanted to decrease fat to 27% to 33% and proteins to 10 to 14%, which is insane because we know that just if you look at the composition of the body, the body is made out of about 62% water, 16% protein, 16% fat, and only 1% carbohydrate. What is the body going to do with 61% carbohydrate? I know what it's going to do. It's going to give you fatty accumulations all over your body to protect you as much as the body can so that this fat doesn't accumulate somewhere else so that this sugar doesn't accumulate somewhere else it starts with the heart it starts with the lungs it starts 
with the uh, liver, starts with the pancreas, in your muscles, everywhere it starts accumulating. And so that's what the body does with all these carbohydrates. And we know that the CDC did a study and now it shows about 75% of all products have infused uh, sugar in it, infused sugar. So it's really important for us to realize that these dietary guidelines made the problem worse. They made the problem worse. And even now, if you look at the plate that, you know, they transferred it from a, from, from a pyramid to a plate, when you look at that plate, it's completely wrong. It's nothing wrong with carbohydrates, but not one-fourth, not 25% of your food. If you eat 25% of your food like that and you live a regular life like people do nowadays, like a sedentary life where they're not working out in the field every single day, where they're not running marathons, where they're not walking miles and miles, you're going to get type 2 diabetes. You're going to get type 2 diabetes. There's no doubt about it. We see it all over the numbers. It's one out of two people have insulin resistance so if you're listening to this and you think you're fit you might have to think about it again because either one or somebody that you know is definitely insulin resistant i say with all of the compassion that i can because me myself i when i did my numbers again because i try to do them frequently i ended up being overweight so i was overweight and i'm thinking here oh i'm so fit no it was, I wasn't fit, you know, and I was fit at one time when I was doing triathlons and when I was uh, even not even having to do triathlons, but I was pretty fit and I lean muscle and, 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 and the risks are pretty low and my physical age is, um, is, is, is consistent with my, um, biological age and so that's really important you know and now i know how to do it so we'll get we're getting back there and that's no problem but you have to realize and take ownership of that fact that most of us eat way too much too much uh too much food period and also our carbohydrates are out in the sky when they should only be one percent of our food 1%, 1%, why? Because our body makes 1%, is made out of 1% carbohydrates. Anything else is for fuel, like, like to use it, to use it. And so that's how dietary, dietary guidelines made things worse, made this epidemic worse, made these diabetes epidemics worse, the diabetes epidemic worse. And I think the main thing we can take from this is that... <clears throat> We have to be uh, use our executive function and use our, uh, our our a thought pattern to be able to think through these things and say, okay, how am I? Look at the objective data. What are my numbers and how am I doing this? And look at the latest scientific evidence that shows you how the proper human uh, the the proper human diet should be. How what intake should I be taking? You know, if there is if there is a specific. Um, if the food that I eat is broken down into water, protein, carbohydrates, and um, and fat, how much of each one of those things should I be putting into my body, right? And so that's the main thing that I wanted to talk to you guys about today. Um, how these guidelines, these dietary guidelines from the 1977 is still causing problems, is still causing problems. And I think it's going to take a long time for us to be able to get ahead of this curve. But we are doing that. We are doing that because there is overwhelming science. And I see it in the hospital every single day. People dying of unnecessary causes, coming to the hospital at an unnecessary early age, having unnecessary pain and suffering and their families they have babies they have kids and uh you know we could think that it's a trivial thing 
But, you know, when you see the amount of suffering that this causes a young family, you know that this is not a trivial thing. It's a major thing. It's a major thing. Uh, so that's the main thing for today, guys. I hope you guys have a phenomenal day. Remember, we're about to have the Diabetes Free Summit coming up on tomorrow so i'm so super excited about that we're bringing some of the world's experts on type 2 diabetes uh and 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 we're bringing some of the world health experts in psychology in biology and environmental health they are amazing at what they do and we are so excited to have them all here and we're gonna be doing this for three days so diabetesfreesummit.com um And it's completely free, guys, so it's amazing. All right, everybody, have a phenomenal day. Thrive on, thrive forward, and take it easy.